When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Happy Thursday to everyone who's listening to this the day that it drops. I don't know about you guys, but I had yet another really fun weekend. Weekends in the city have been so great. I usually, like pre-COVID, you know, really hated being in the city on the weekends once it starts getting hot here, but there's just something about not being here for a year. I just want to soak up. I want to savor every single moment living in this amazing city. I'm literally in love with New York City, pulling a Carrie Bradshaw. So I'm trying to stay here as many weekends as I can, just really also soaking up my air conditioning, um, which is lovely. So very grateful to have that. But I had a really fun weekend celebrating my friend Emily. It was her 25th birthday. She rented out a really cute place and we did a little party there for her. Um, But before that, I was so lucky to be treated to a spray tan. And I haven't gotten a spray tan in, well, okay, that's a lie. I got one for Memorial Day weekend. But before that, I hadn't gotten a spray tan since, I think, yeah, New Year's Eve 2019. So 2020, New Year's Eve, like little did I know what 2020 would bring, but that's the last time I got a spray tan. And so I'm still kind of a newbie with this. Like I literally... I see it like crackling off my skin as we speak. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Forgot about that. Like I used to aggressively spray tan in college. I'd get spray tans every week basically in college because I was just convinced. There's something about the South, first of all, that convinces you you need to be tan all the time. I don't know what it was. Also being in a sorority, you know, the the stereotypes are true. I feel like I just didn't ever want to be the palest person at the party. Like, does it matter? No, not at all. I honestly like my fair skin sometimes. Like I like how it contrasts with my hair. Like it's okay to not be tan all the time. I also wear a lot of SPF. So I like, you know, I don't want to get naturally tan because I do want to just keep my skin healthy. I really am afraid of skin cancer. So anyway, you know, spray tans every once in a while can be great for the confidence. So I got one and 
it was really cool because they, so glow to go, it's what it's called in New York City. They have this thing called glow to go and they come to your apartment. They also do the tri-state area, but they brought their tent set up. Well, they as in one person came, set up the tent in my apartment, which was really cool. Um, it's definitely pricier. So if you're looking for more of a budget tan, there's a million other places. I actually really prefer like for a budget tan, which honestly is what you need if you're doing it consistently. I love sugared and bronzed, but glow to go came, set up the tent, did it in here. And I'm telling you the story. It's going somewhere. I promise you. Okay. So she sets up the tent. She does the whole thing. I've gotten the confidence lately to go completely naked. Like before I would have to wear like underwear because I was just like insecure about like, I, I don't know. I just like felt funny. You don't have to do it. You can like wear whatever you want, but I don't like having the tan lines, um, especially if I'm in a bathing suit or something. I just like prefer not having the tan lines because it restricts what you can wear without. I mean, I guess if you don't care about tan lines, it's fine, but I've gotten the confidence recently. It's kind of huge for me. It's definitely attributed to my fitness journey. Like I do feel a lot more confident in my skin these days. I think it's been obvious on social media, but I went fully naked, you know, let the girl tan me. She's like so chill for being like tanning a naked person. Like she just like wasn't at all phased, which obviously she, she does a lot of tans. I asked her, I'm like, so how many tans do you think you've done in your entire career? And she's like, I don't even want to know because she's, she's been doing it for 10 years. That's a long time to be spray tanning people. So yeah. So she was lovely, loved working with her. Um, but at one point she was like, okay, so, you know, we're done with the tan just as a precaution, like try not to shower for three hours. Like, you know, they tell you the whole thing of what you can and cannot do. Like wear dark clothing because the tan will come off on anything. Like I was super careful about my white couch, but she was like, like the biggest thing to remember is don't use Dove soap products. And I've never heard that before. I've gotten a lot of spray tans like in my past and I feel like they've never told me that, but I guess something about Dove products like strips the tan faster than other products or something like that. I don't really know, but um, so weird. I was just like, oh yeah, I don't even have any Dove products. I just said it. It just like came out of my mouth and little did she know, like not more than four feet behind her where we were standing, I have three different Dove products in my shower because they recently sent me some stuff to try out. And I literally have three different products from Dove in my shower at the moment. But I just like lied to her. And it wasn't a huge lie. It was a white lie. It definitely wasn't a lie that was going to like affect the course of the universe or even the course of her day or even the course of my day. But I just lied. And when I did it, I like thought to myself, I'm like, well, why did I say that? I could have just said, oh yeah, you know, I have Dove products in my shower, but I'm just not going to use them. Like I just, I stopped myself after that. I didn't correct myself because I like probably will never see this lady again. I was like, okay, she's not going to care. But mentally I made a note to myself and I physically in my note section of my phone also made a note to myself. And I just kind of, you know, wrote down some questions. Why do we lie? the big ones, the white ones. Why do we lie? Why do we lie, especially when we don't need to? Why do we lie in relationships? Why do we lie to our friends about where we really were last night and with whom we were with? Like, Why do people lie in court after taking an oath? 
Do we lie because we're bad people or just because we're human and you know things slip out or we just make mistakes that we wish we could take back? Are we protecting ourselves? Are we protecting our egos? Are we protecting others? Others' egos? Of course, you know, sometimes it is linked to a disorder. I need to mention this because it is a legitimate thing to be a pathological liar which is often a symptom of various personality disorders. So it could be, you know, a disorder. But for the rest of us that do not have a disorder, but just flat out lie, let's talk about it. So yes, you guessed it. Today's episode of Thick and Thin is all about lying. The history of lying, the psychology behind lying, why we lie and what has been invented to prevent lying, successful or not successful. Because honestly, if you've ever told a lie, this is going to be a relevant podcast to you for you. And I feel like it's pretty impossible to find someone who's never told a lie. Like there is this one study we're going to talk about later that says that majority of people, so 95% of people in this study, cannot go an entire week without telling at least one falsehood. And that can be like a white lie. It could be like telling the waiter the food was good when it wasn't, you know. It's still a lie. If it's a falsehood, if it's not correct, if it's you are knowingly saying something that is false, that is a lie. Big or small, it's a lie. So there's this well-known myth that most of us probably recall learning in middle or high school. The Trojan War was a legendary conflict between the early Greeks and the people of Troy, which is a city in what is now considered Turkey. The conflict lasted more than 10 years until one morning when the Greek armies seemed to have had enough. It was a long battle. They were exhausted. They were down in numbers. They decided to retreat from their camp, leaving behind a large wooden horse outside the gates of Troy. So they packed up, they left, they sailed to the nearby island of Tenedos, but they left behind just one Greek warrior named Sinon who persuaded the people of Troy that the horse that they had left behind was an offering to Athena, the goddess of war, and that in accepting the horse, it would make Troy untouchable in potential future conflicts. So after much debate, the Trojans, aka the people of Troy, pulled the mysterious gift inside of the city walls. But when night fell, the horse opened up and a group of 40 Greek warriors, led by Odysseus, you might remember him, climbed out and attacked Troy from within. Sinon had told one of the most famous lies in Greek mythology. People's lies have the ability to cause so much destruction that a literal machine had to be invented to determine whether people are lying or not during interrogations. It's flawed for sure because truly the only way to know 100% for certain that someone is lying is to just be that person because even the most skilled lie detectors can be wrong. If you guys listen to any Crime Junkie episode, they always tell you not to take the polygraph because polygraph tests, that's that's a lie detector test, have wrongfully convicted so many people. You know, in the past, people are like, oh, they, they failed the lie detector test. They must be lying. But like, no. I mean, if you think about the science behind the lie detector test, it really has to do with certain levels in your body being elevated. But if you're just, you know, plain nervous, if you're an anxious person and being interrogated is something that's really nerve wracking, I can assume I've never done it myself, but like in a professional, like crime setting, it's probably really nerve wracking. So naturally 
you know, certain levels will be elevated, which we'll get into. But here's a quick history of the lie detector test, which is, like I said, called a polygraph. It was invented in the 20s. It was first created in the year 1921 when a California-based policeman and physiologist, John A. Larson, aimed to somehow simultaneously measure continuous changes in blood pressure, heart rate, and respiration rate in order to detect deception. But it should be known, the credit for the invention of the polygraph can't solely be given to John. Seven years prior to 1921, so in 1914, Italian psychologist Vittorio Benussi had published his findings on the respiratory symptoms of the lie. And it was American psychologist, lawyer, and author William M. Marston who invented this thing called a discontinuous systolic blood pressure test for the detection for the detection of deception in 1915. So if you blend all these smart guys' findings together, you get the polygraph. Perceived threats, increased physical or mental activity, the anticipation of a threat, and of course, any form of specific or general arousal can cause heart rate, blood pressure, and other cardiovascular processes to fluctuate, to change in a variety of different ways. So polygraph tests measure all of these things simultaneously to detect if a person is lying. If a certain question causes the individual who's being tested to undergo stress or like a fluctuation in one or all of these areas, it's picked up. But ultimately, lie detector tests are flawed, like we said. So in 2003, Gary Ridgway admitted that he was the Green River Killer. Again, if you guys listen to Crime Junkie or any sort of crime show or podcast, you guys would probably know about Gary Ridgway. He was pretty famous for a horrible thing. He murdered 49 women in the Seattle area. Yet Gary had passed a lie detector test in 1987. So kind of deeming him not guilty. Well, another man who turned out to be innocent after Gary's confession in 87 failed the test. It has been argued that psychopaths like Ridgway or serial killer Ted Bundy, who everyone really knows as another example, the reason why they're able to outsmart the polygraph, people have said it's because they have lower anxiety levels than normal people that don't kill people, you know. But the research into this has mixed results, according to an article by BBC. Polygraph tests can easily be beaten. You don't have to be a trained spy or sociopath. You just have to understand how to recognize the control questions and augment reactions to them with techniques such as biting the side of your tongue or solving a math equation in your head, says George Matsky, a former U.S. Army intelligence officer and co-founder of antipolygraph.org. This guy is very much against the polygraph, thinks that there are different ways that you can track lies, like something more brain-focused, because, you know, if you're able to kind of control the way that your body reacts, like control your reactions, kind of coach yourself before you're asked all these questions to react in a certain way, I feel like you can control the way that your, you know, your systems react and come across as like, you know, not a liar, basically. So let's take things back to the beginning when I asked all those questions, you know, why do humans lie? Like, yeah, why do we even have to make a machine that detects lies? Why do humans lie? Like, if it's possible to not lie, why do we lie? And I think, like, my personal hypothesis, I think the reason why humans lie 
is because we have, I mean, even animals, animals lie too, I guess, <laughs> but just like why anyone, any person, anything lies. The reason is because of the self-indulgent nature that lives in each of us. You know, we wish to avoid any sort of pain. You know, pain can come in many forms, any sort of pain or discomfort at all costs. You know, we try to protect ourselves and we want to, you know, that being said, but then we also want to increase pleasure for ourselves. That's why married men lie and say they're not married. They put their ring in their pocket and go after women or they're on dating apps. You know, women do this as well, but you know, I'm just, I'm pulling out the example. I was just listening to this one country song on the way back from my trainer and it was like about a cheating. It's like called Cheater, Cheater. Have you ever heard it? It's like, Cheater, Cheater, where'd you meet her? Down at someone's bar. I don't even know. But she's like, did you put your ring in the pocket of your jeans or did you just leave it on? So that's why I said that. But yeah, we wish to avoid pain at all costs and increase pleasure. We often lie to protect ourselves and we also lie to protect the ego of others. That's why we lie to waiters, telling them the food tastes good when it truly tastes like cardboard. That's why we lie to our friends who give us advice and say, oh yeah, we're so over our ex and no, we didn't see them last night. We slept alone, et cetera. Because you know, the, the friend lying part is like we want our friends to see or you know, hear that we trust their advice. They we want their egos to be heightened. Like, oh, we really trust your advice. Like, I want you to know that I'm supporting the fact that you're supporting me. But also I want to, you know, go after my my impulse and and satisfy my pleasure and go after my ex that I may not be over. So you kind of you you think you can get have it, have your cake and eat it too, you know, like have your friends trust you and be happy that you're taking their advice, but then also you still want to hook up with the ex, you know? So it has to do with wanting to protect people, wanting to protect egos, and also the fear of your friends judging you. You know, you want to protect you as well. So we want to protect ourselves from the judgment. We want to protect the waiter from our judgment as well. Is lying about protection or is it about fear or is it about both? So over on Instagram yesterday, I asked you guys what you think about lying. And I said, just very simply, why do we lie? And here were some of your responses. Someone said, people lie because they are afraid of the truth or their truth. People lie because they don't like what the truth says about them. They prefer you know, a, a, a fantasized narrative to avoid embarrassment, to avoid confrontation, to avoid drama to avoid consequences, avoid, avoid, avoid. That is all I'm hearing here because if we can go without the discomfort caused by telling the truth sometimes, we will. We'll do anything we can to not tell the truth. If it's something we're not proud of, if it's something we wish didn't happen, if we if it's something we wish was different, if it's, you know, something that we're afraid of because yeah, I mean, that's why so many people have faked orgasms. They say, all is fair in love and war. All is fair in faking orgasms, I guess. I found this article on Psychology Today, actually, that tackled the art of faking an orgasm and sought to find out why, why women do it and why also women, some women that have done it in the past have stopped doing it. So the study they discussed in the article was published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior. And Debbie Herbenick, 
She's an American author, research scientist, sex educator, sex advice columnist, among many other titles. She seems like a total badass. I would love to hang out with her. So she, Debbie, and her colleagues explored, quote, prevalence rates of women who reported faking orgasms at some point in their lives, as well as those who reported no longer faking orgasms. So the study included 1,008 women between the ages of 18 and 94, so pretty huge range there in terms of age, who responded to a confidential internet-based survey. And the women who answered, they were mostly heterosexual and they all lived in the United States. And the results indicate that 58.8% of participants, so over half, reported faking an orgasm at some point in time, but two-thirds of those who had ever faked an orgasm in the past indicated they no longer did. I'm interested in the age breakdown here. They didn't include that. I wonder if potentially, I mean, this might just be what I assume, but like as you get older, you realize that life is too short to fake orgasms, you know? Um, because I think like for a while when I was younger, at least I didn't even know like what an orgasm like was before I like properly explored things. I didn't even know like what it felt like to have an orgasm. So I'm like, maybe I just, maybe I did. I don't know. Um, but okay, let's move on with the point. So get this, the most common responses, most common reasons why women ever faked an orgasm were, okay, there's three reasons that they gave. Number one, they wanted their partner to feel successful. That's 57.1% of the participants said that. They wanted their partner to feel successful, so essentially protecting them from insecurity. Number two, they wanted sex to end because they felt tired, 44.6%. So avoiding a potentially awkward conversation, again, protecting their partner, protecting them from, you know, seeming like they they can't handle, you know, a lot of, of sex or whatever. And then number three, they liked their sexual partner and didn't want them to feel bad. So that was 37.7%. Again, protecting their partner from insecurity, protecting themselves from potentially losing them as a partner and being left lonely because, you know, that's people's biggest fear. A lot of people is ending up alone and upsetting someone, their partner so much that they leave them, you know, especially if they have past trauma in that area. So the authors of the study, Debbie and her, her other research partners hypothesized that lack of sexual communication may be partially responsible for orgasm faking. So the lack of clarity essentially between you and your sexual partner in the realm of, you know, just asking simple questions like, does that feel good? What do you like? How can I do this better, et cetera? You know, I always consider, and this is funny, but like if I, you know, I always consider if I'm not faking my orgasms, I'm really bettering humankind, womankind for that matter, because a lot of times, you know, the person that you're hooking up with, they they won't be your end-all be-all necessarily, right? Like there's so many fish in the sea, especially if it's one of those things where it's kind of like a summer fling or a friend of a friend that you're just like, you know, you're in the mood and you're like, oh, okay, they're not my boyfriend, but they might be, they might not be someday. Who knows? You get to like three dates with someone. You're like, let's just, you know, test drive the car before I drive it off the lot, you know? So yeah, maybe they're not your end-all be-all. They'll have other partners after you, likely. And I feel that I'm doing the the guy's future partners. So future women, maybe future men, who knows? And their future partners a disservice by rewarding lackluster hookup skills. 
I said this in the last episode, I think. Yeah, it was actually called. <laughs> My last episode was called The Summer of Not Settling, I'm pretty sure. And that, guys, I'm going to reiterate, that's what we're doing this summer. This is the summer of not settling. So stop faking your orgasms, okay? In order to help women everywhere, I've become more vocal in terms of like, here's what you do, honey. I've literally given guys instructions sometimes, like step-by-step instructions. And I like to think that when I'm doing it, I'm bettering womankind. <laughs> Let's all look out for each other, okay? Stop faking it. Stop lying. Easier said than done because at the end of the day, lying, like we said, is rooted in protection. It's, you know, it's done to avoid the uncomfortable. And it's done to, like, you could just be a really kind person, a really nice person that doesn't want the guy or the girl to feel like they, you know, they're not good for you. They're not satisfying you because of those reasons I said before. Like, if you really like them, and you want things to progress with them, you don't want to scare them off by being like, I don't like that. Or like, that. that's just not cutting it for me. It's not doing it for me, you know? And I think, I really do think it's the lack of communication. It's a lack of clarity. And so having conversations and like, you know, talking about things that could be potentially seen as a little bit of an uncomfortable situation, an un- uncomfortable conversation, especially if you just, you don't really know the person too well or like, even or especially if you do and you faked it for so long that you're like, oh no, I'm like in too deep now. It's so much easier said than done. But at the end of the day, lying is rooted in protection and avoiding the uncomfortable. It's also rooted in insecurity. I went on this date. Okay. I wasn't going to talk about this, but here I go. I once went on this date with a guy who looked exactly like his dating profile. Really, really cute guy. Like chiseled jaw, the whole nine yards, you know, like totally my type. His profile, like his face looked exactly like his dating profile, except for one thing. And I'm assuming a lot of you out there are probably nodding your head, knowing where this is going. So there were a few things, but I guess that's only if you consider each inch that he lacked a thing. So the guy had aggressively lied about his height by at least, I feel like, three or maybe four inches. Like I'm five, five, which a lot of people don't think I'm five. They're like, I feel like you're taller. I'm like, no, I'm five, five. This guy said he was five, 10 on his profile. And I was, I just kind of had a suspicion that he wasn't five, 10. I thought maybe five, nine, which again, okay. Height is not a deal breaker for me, but it's the lie that I can't get over. Like I guess it's different. You know, guys, it's a little different, I guess, for them. I don't know, because they do have insecurity with that. And, you know, I understand why they do it. And there's certainly things that girls lie about on their dating profiles as well. A lot of people facetune the heck out of their pictures. And, you know, it's there's things that we do as well. But it really grinds my gears when a guy lies about his height. Like, just be honest. Like, I'm not going to not swipe on you if you're 5'9". But if you're 5'10 and you are actually 5'7, which is this guy's t- this guy's situation, I'm going to be a little bit perturbed, okay? And I'm honestly convinced that guys that are 5'11 just don't exist in general. 5'11 just does not exist on dating profiles. Like, realistically, they're, they're unicorns, 5'11 guys. Because if you're really 5'10, you're going to be saying you're 5'11. But if you're 5'11, really, you'll be saying you're six feet because every girl wants a guy who's six feet and above, right, ladies? Okay, no, it's not true, but 
you know, people think that. And there certainly are some people that are like, I will, they, they literally set their, their profile standards or like whatever their like lowest height to six feet. And like, they won't even get the people on their feeds that are below six feet. And that's just some people. I'm also five, five. I'm not an extremely tall girl. So, you know, I don't, I don't have insecurity with that, but I know that it's something that a lot of people do have insecurity with. So that's totally fine. You do you, honey. But (laughs) I was just like, oh, like he walks in and I'm wearing flats and he could not have been more than like, okay, I'll give him five, seven. I feel like he could have been five, seven, maybe. Um, But it just, I couldn't even focus on the date after that because I was just so mad at him for lying. And I'm like, you know, like this is going to happen every day. Like the girl's going to be like, dude, what the heck? Like you're going to have to confront it at some point. Like you're not, you're not 5'10". Anyway, Anna Delvey is a con artist who deceived New York City's elite arts crowd for years. You might've heard of her before. I think there's a Netflix documentary eventually coming out about her life. She conned luxury hotels, restaurants, a private jet operator, and banks out of more than $200,000 telling everyone that she was a wealthy German heiress. And everyone believed her without question for years. I asked her all of these questions and the way she had an answer for everything, it was just sport for her. And this was one of Anna's previous friends that said this, who she conned out of $62,000. She said this to Cosmopolitan Magazine. I'll have this article linked. So Anna conned her friend, guys, out of $62,000. They won this like lavish vacation. And Anna was like, oh, you know, my cards are frozen because I don't get my trust in a, for a little while. Or she like made up some elaborate lie. And her friend being so nice and, you know, trusting, believing her, put like maxed out her credit cards and put the 62K on her cards and conned her out of all that money. And she eventually, you know, she was in debt. She had to pay it. Anna just didn't like her life as Anna Sorokin, which was her real name. So she invented one that she did like. She invented Anna Delvey. Anna Delvey isn't a real person. She invented this persona. And in order to give her new character, the new character in her story, the funds that she needed to be her best self, she deceived the wealthy and anyone close to her. It's seen as a need to attract attention in someone who lacks it explains Dr. Neil Burton in the Cosmo piece that I'll have linked. Usually when people tell a big lie, it's not because they want to deceive people or because they're evil. It's because they're in desperate need. I thought this quote was really interesting because we haven't really tackled this yet. You know, some people lie because they need to lie. They are in desperate need of this lie. Like they, you know, Anna, Anna Sorokin, the real person, behind the Anna Delvey persona. She needed Anna Delvey. She needed this life somehow, like deep in her core. She just needed this to be happy. So she lied. She's not evil necessarily. She's obviously it's messed up what she did, but I don't think she's evil. She's just, she's in need. You know, many of us are, but we don't act upon this. We don't deceive people because we know that it's wrong. On January 26th, 1998, President Clinton, standing with his wife Hillary, spoke at a White House press conference. He said, addressing the American people, I want you to listen to me. 
I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie. Not a single time, never. These allegations are false. After Monica Lewinsky provided evidence to the contrary, though, Clinton decided to come clean. On August 17, 1998, so some many months later, he admitted that he had engaged in an improper physical relationship with Monica Lewinsky, who at the time was a 22-year-old White House intern. That evening, he gave a nationally televised statement admitting that his relationship with Monica was not appropriate. He lied to protect himself, his wife, his family, his presidency, his whole campaign, the American people from being a laughingstock to the rest of the world for having a president that hooks up with 22-year-old White House interns. But for the most part, his lie was out of cowardice, I think. In 2004, he said he regrets lying about the affair, but also believes that telling the truth could have cost him the presidency which I guess if you go through all the effort and all those people backing you and giving money and, you know, on your campaign trail, like all the hard work of all these people, imagine having that all be blown to smithereens because you couldn't keep it in your pants. Like, yeah, I understand why he was afraid of that, but maybe just don't do it in the first place if you want to, I don't know, the ego, I guess there's other things at play. But is he evil? I don't think he's evil. I, just, I think he's just, you know, there's, there's things that happen when someone cheats, obviously, which we'll get into. But he says, quote, that was a mistake and I think I shouldn't have said it, Clinton said, meaning the lie. I think that what I should have said was the truth. I should have said I didn't violate the law and I never asked anybody else to violate the law. And that's all I should have said. At the time, he used poor judgment, Clinton said. It was a moment where I was frankly rattled. I used poor judgment and I was wrong and I'll regret it till the day I die, he said. It was terrible. I'll say it again. <laughs> at the core of it, we lie because we wish to avoid pain at all costs for ourselves, for others, and we wish to increase pleasure. We want our cake and to eat it too. He wanted the presidency, the White House, the admiration of the American people. He wanted the wife standing at his side, but also he wanted to mess around with the intern. You want your cake and you want to eat it too. You want to avoid pain, so you lie. Husbands want their wives, you know, at their side to appear as though they have their shit together on the outside, but they also want the excitement of a mistress. Christian Hart, an author of a Psychology Today article who, in literally the first sentence of this article, which I'll have linked as well, had to mention he has a PhD, like, you know, he's one of those. Definitely a smart guy. Um, so, you know, we know he's legit. He says, based on some studies, the majority of people, so 95%, cannot go an entire week without telling at least one falsehood. Some large, but mostly small, little white lies. You know, lies that won't really affect the course of the universe or cause a polygraph test, to, you know, to be dragged out and you hooked up to a machine to see if you're telling the truth. Like, just little baby white lies, like me saying I have no Dove products in my shower when I have three sitting right there. You know, they won't affect the course of the universe, but they still are false. They are falsehoods. So why, I was actually really curious about this, why is a white lie called a white lie? Why white? Why that color? Why not a red lie or a black lie? Well, here is the reason, guys. One of the first documented definitions of a white lie surfaced in a 1741 article in a British publication called The Gentleman's Magazine. 
Of course, it was in the Gentleman's Magazine. (laughs) In it, the author wrote, quote, a certain lady of the highest quality makes a judicious distinction between a white lie and a black lie. A white lie is that which is not intended to injure anybody in his fortune, interest, or reputation, but only to gratify a garrulous disposition and the itch of amusing people by telling them wonderful stories. So unless fancy terms, white lies are basically harmless little fibs told for the purpose of embellishing tall tales, an over-exaggeration of the truth, so to speak. But where, where do we draw the line? What sets a white lie over the edge into the offensive larger lie territory? I think it all has to do with what is behind the lie. You know, embellishing a tale to make yourself sound cooler and make your story sound interesting and, you know, whatever, being just just exaggerating is different, I think, than saying something to avoid, to totally avoid drama or protect your image. So, you know, me lying about the Dove soap, is that considered embellishing? Uh, I'd say yes, maybe. Will it alter the course of the universe? No. Should we still, every time we even tell a white lie, catch ourselves and be like, wait a second, why did I do that? Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah. I once had this friend growing up that, you know, she she would always lie to us. Like, but like they weren't white lies. They were like one time, like telling these hugely important stories. And I knew that it came from, obviously, it comes a lot of times from a place of like a lack of of self-confidence or wanting to like feeling like you don't have um you know that I, yeah i guess it's a lack of self confidence right and so you want to have something that makes you sound cooler or like your self esteem i guess you want people to look at you and think wow this girl's so 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 cool and that's why people lie i'm trying to think there's like definitely some movies out there oh like no i guess there's like definitely some rom-com with like i feel like it's like lindsay lohan or someone or she like fakes her life Oh, I like can't think of it right now. You guys have to DM me if you know what I'm talking about. There's like definitely like movies from Disney Channel where people lied and oh my God, why can't I think of it, guys? <laughs> I wish I would have uh, thought this through before recording anyway, but you know what I'm saying. It's not, it's like a popular storyline in a lot of movies to be like, oh, she lied and then everyone found out the truth and that her friends were no longer her friends and then and her friends finally accepted her because they had to, because they know she's a good person. She's not evil. She just fibbed. So lying is a part of being a human, but it's one of those things where obviously you feel a whole lot better about yourself if you lead a life without telling lies, many lies. Lying to yourself is also a factor of this. I lie to myself all the time. I'm like, oh, you know, I did this thing or, you know, and I, that doesn't make me feel bad. Like, oh, you know, I, I did this thing and like, maybe it didn't make me feel amazing. Like maybe I'm a little disappointed in myself, but like, I'm fine. I I tell myself I'm fine all the time. Right. And that's lying to yourself. If it's not true, it's a falsehood. Sometimes it just shocks me that I'm even capable of telling the whitest of lies. I'm like, why, why do you do that? Why do you lie? Even if it's not necessary to lie. And, you know, I'll go back to what I said before. It's like, you want to just go without any sort of discomfort. You don't want the judgment. I didn't want that spray tan lady being like, oh, you know, you've dove in your shower, like just make sure not even a drop. Like I didn't want to get scolded. I think some of that comes from, it, it definitely comes from like childhood and, you know, 
knowing what it feels like to be scolded for doing something wrong, even if it wasn't like physical, but just like the, the, the crushing like anxiety you get when you do something you know is wrong, right? And having to admit to that. Like I remember, <laughs> this is such a superficial example, but back when I would religiously wax my eyebrows, I don't do it anymore because I like the scruffier look. It's like kind of in now, but there was obviously a time in recent history when having like really chiseled, very much pronounced, like drawn in brows were big, right? And not like a single hair out of place. So I used to religiously wax my eyebrows. Now I just go twice a year usually. But I remember like sometimes plucking in between. If you guys ever wax your eyebrows, you know that you're not supposed to pluck in between. Like maybe like if it's like a really obviously long one that like you know for a fact you could get without leaving behind like, you know, like messing it up like not getting the thing from the root, you can do that. But if you think that it's like, it's not long enough and like you need to, like you're not supposed to pluck in between, like unless it's a dire emergency. And so I remember one time plucking in between and going and just knowing I was going to get scolded by the waxer. And I'm like, like contemplating, do I lie to her and say I didn't do it? And like, I don't know, this this hair just grew halfway and stopped. Like what a, what a mystery. So yeah, I mean, you lie to avoid discomfort. You lie because you can, because it's possible to lie and have no one know that you lied. Because again, like I said, I mean, obviously there's some things that are dead giveaways, like not being able to make eye contact or again, like the heart rate and, you know, certain things elevating and whatever, like the pupils dilating, there's things that people say are dead giveaways. But for the most part, you are the only person that knows for certain if you're lying, right? And like you can't know for certain if someone else is lying. And that lends to how humans, like we had to, we have to develop, we had to develop trust because of this, because we don't know if someone is lying or not. So we had to develop this concept of trusting people and just trusting that they are telling the truth, like kind of blindly hoping that they're not lying to us. And as we enter hot girl summer, shot girl summer, slutty summer, whatever you consider it, we got to know that a lot of times people are going to lie to us and we have to know. I kind of just go into it like assuming someone's lying to me <laughs> when they say like, oh yeah, you're the only girl I'm talking to. I'm like, yeah, okay, bullshit. I know you're talking to other people. Like I know. Like, what is it? It's like assume they're guilty unless they're proven innocent or something. Um, but, you know, developing trust is hard when you know how easy it is to lie, even the whitest of lies. So, guys, that is a brief history of lying, lie detector tests, some interesting stories from history having to do with lies. You know, we we all tell lies, but cheers to telling less because it, it's always just better in the long run to tell the truth because it causes you less anxiety. You're like, you know, you're not going to stay up at night thinking about how the lie is going to crush you like, you know, to smithereens, like you, you have less fear in your day to day if you have less lies in your day to day. And that is my belief. So anyway, guys, that was our episode on lying. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you aren't feeling triggered because you have some lies under your belt that you're still trying to work through. Um, but yeah, moving forward, let's just strive to tell the truth. Less white lies. I'm going to tell that. I'm going to call her up and be like, so I lied. I have Dove in my shower. <laughs> She's going to be like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, that's the episode, guys. 
Hope you enjoyed it. I will talk to you all next week. Bye.